0: Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our discipleship pastor, Adam Scott. Amen, amen. What a powerful time of worship. Hey, I am excited that each and every one of you, we're in week two of a series called This Changes Everything. We kicked it off last week by having a huge Easter celebration here at the church, and and we want to keep that going this week. And the reason we want to do that is because what Jesus did, He did not do for a Sunday celebration. He did it for a life transformation. He did it for a Monday transformation and a Tuesday transformation. He did it so that we can embrace it with everything we have and begin to live like Jesus died and He rose again to provide for each and every one of us. Hope and grace. That's what we're excited about today. Today, we're looking at one of the biggest changes that took place as a result of the resurrection. As a matter of fact, we're looking at a change that is so big that revolutionized the world in such a big way that 2,000 years later, we're still wrestling to figure out what it all means. And we're wrestling to embrace it each and every day because it's not natural. It's not an idea or a concept that we're just drawn to naturally because it it doesn't make sense to us. Today, we're talking about grace. Here's my sermon in a sentence, grace will get you where goodness can't. Grace will get you where goodness can't. The truth is we all want to be good enough, don't we? Good enough for everything. That's that's how we're wired. That's, That's part of our DNA. When we were little bitty, we used, to, we used to want to be good enough to get whatever was in our hand into our mouth. You know, that was, that was life, right? All we had to do was taste everything in the world and we would be happy. As we got just a little bit bigger, we wanted to be good enough to walk and to keep up with the big kids. You know, I'm watching my, my youngest go through that right now, running around behind him because he wants to be good enough to do what his big sisters are doing. A few years later, we wanted to be good enough to get picked for the team, you know? We wanted to be good enough to get presents from Santa Claus. That, that's all that mattered to us. We just had to be good enough to obtain that. As we got a little bit older as teenagers, we wanted to be good enough to get noticed by that girl. Right, guys? Or we wanted to be good enough to get noticed by that guy. We wanted to be good enough to, to obtain our driver's license and we wanted to get grades that were good enough so that we could go to college. And now as adults, we want to be good enough to get a promotion. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? We want to be good enough to keep up with the Joneses, to impress the people in our neighborhood with the things we have. We want to be good enough to have some kind of impact on the world around us. You see, our lives are a constant pursuit for good enough. Sometimes we get there and sometimes we don't. A few years ago, I joined a church softball team And uh, I hadn't played ball in a while. You can say all. It's okay. Say it. Oh, that's cute, isn't it? See, I hadn't played ball in a long time. I was about that age the last time I had played ball in any kind of professional way. And uh, and so I signed up for this church league softball team. And as I signed my name on the line, all of a sudden, all the hopes and all the dreams and all the passions that were in this little kid's head when he took this picture were welling up inside of me, you know? I was starting to think, you know what? I'm going to be famous. Like... This is it. All of a sudden, scouts have never come to see somebody play church league softball before, but it's going to happen because I'm going to be famous and I'm going to do some incredible things. You know what happened instead? I had to leave the second game injured and have surgery on my elbow because throwing the ball was too much for me. (laughs) Isn't that terrible? What, What do you do when your goodness falls short of your goal? What do you do when you have to admit defeat? You see, in some areas like church softball, you just adjust. You just refocus your priorities. You just embrace something new. But, but what do you do when your goodness falls short in an area that's just too important to walk away from? What do you do specifically when your goodness falls short in your relationship with God? That's what I want us to talk about today because I think it's a real struggle for each and every one of us go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter five. We're going to read about a, a powerful encounter that a specific individual had with Jesus, and, and through his encounter with Jesus, we're going to pull three things out of this, and, and these three things are going to challenge the way we think about grace and challenge the way that we pursue goodness and challenge how we apply that to our relationship with Jesus. Let's look at John chapter 5. We're going to start in the first verse. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Years. Now listen, these first few verses of the story set the scene for, for this incredible encounter that, that Jesus is going to have with this specific individual. They, they paint a picture of what's really going on in that time period, and it's an incredibly pitiful picture. You see, back in this time, the Pool of Bethesda, we've actually had archaeological digs that have confirmed that, that people even hundreds of years later believed there was something magic about the waters um, in the Pool of Bethesda. And so these people would gather around that were, that were sick and hurting and struggling, and, and if the waters began to stir, the first person who would jump into the water would be healed just like that. That's what they believed. And so as a result, this entire place, this this huge pool area was covered with people that were hopeless and trying to compete with one another to earn a miracle. I want you to be able to understand what this would look like. We've got quite a few hundred people in this room right now. I want you to imagine if I were to take $100, I I, I like to have props, but I couldn't get my hands on like $10,000. So uh, if you can help me in the next sermon, you let me know, and we'll talk after the service. But if I were to pull $10,000 and $100 bills and just sit them right here on the stage and then step back and say, one, two, three, go, It's going to be chaos, right? I mean, people are going to beat each other up. Maya's getting excited because she's on the front row. You know, there's perks to sitting up close, but we're going to beat each other up and we're going to fight and we're going to scratch and we're going to claw so that we can earn this $10,000. That's what goes on at this pool all the time. Every single time the waters are stirred, all the people that are surrounding it begin to fight and they begin to compete and they begin to do whatever they could do so they could be healed in the waters. This particular man, the Bible says, has been an invalid for 38 years. That tells me that by this time, he's probably seen every doctor in Jerusalem. By, by this time, he's probably tried every, every different technique, every different procedure, every different system that offered any hope of healing. And like so many other people that are gathered around that pool, he's desperate and he's hopeless and he had no other options. And so every single day he subjected himself to this daily, impossible, discouraging routine that offered very little chance of healing. And it's in that terrible situation that we pull out the first important truth from his story, and that's this, hopelessness provides the way for healing. You see, if you'll notice in this story, Jesus didn't visit the healthy that day. Jesus visited the sick. And when this particular man could not get to the water to receive healing, Jesus brought the healing to him. How many times do we try and obtain for ourselves something that only Jesus can provide? Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says this, Therefore no one, does that include you and me, no one, Nobody, there's not a single person in this world who will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Nobody is ever going to be good enough to earn God's love. You can't get there on your own. You have let God down. You will let God down. And therefore, your situation is hopeless What this verse says is if you try and lean all your weight on on your goodness, your goodness is going to crush beneath the weight of your sin. What this verse says is you can spend the next 38 years trying to to strengthen this base, but all that you're ever going to do is you're going to become more and more conscious of your sin and how distant you have made God. Like the water, God is out of reach. Which is why 2,000 years ago, Jesus brought the healing to us. See, a few verses later, this is what it says in verse 24. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad the story didn't stop with our hopelessness? You see, the story continues. It says, you were hopeless, but Jesus. But Jesus, through grace, because of his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus has fixed what we broke. Jesus has made us right with God. Jesus has provided what we pursue, but we could not earn on our own. Through grace, because of Jesus Christ, we can lean on something that's stronger and sturdy enough to handle all of our sin and all of our shame. Hopelessness provides the way for healing. A couple years ago, I was in a golf tournament and I was with a group of guys and I had played in this golf tournament before and I actually have the worst place trophy um, to, to prove that I had been there before. And we were playing in this golf tournament. It was to raise money for a for a nonprofit organization. And we got to this particular hole, and they had a professional golfer there. And uh, and this professional golfer said, "If you'll donate a little extra money, it was actually a lot of extra money. If you'll donate a lot of extra money to this nonprofit organization, I'll tee off the next shot for you." The par five hole. I mean, this is this is a long way. It's going to take me at least nine shots to get there. And so we look at the scorecard and we're kind of tallying up where we stand. And as we looked at the scorecard, we knew that we had no other option. See, our scorecard told us that we had to depend on somebody else to do what we could not do. Listen, the scorecard of sin shows us where we stand, but grace takes the shot for us. Until you see yourself as a sinner, until you see your situation as hopeless, you won't see your need for a savior. Your hopelessness provides the way for healing. Is your life plagued with guilt and shame? Are you constantly falling short? Do you always feel hopeless and and empty and broken? Then you gotta let Jesus take the shot. Let's take a look at what happens next in the story. In verse six and seven, it says, when Jesus saw him as the invalid that's been lying there, uh, been sick for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? The, the uh, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus asked the man a strange question. He says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? You know, when I read this, the first thing I ask is, why would Jesus ask such a silly question? I mean, do you want to receive an A on the test? Of course. Do do, do you want to win the lottery? Of course. Do you want to meet Carrie Underwood? You know, like these are all silly questions. The answer is obviously yes. What is Jesus getting at? Why is he asking this question? I believe he's asking this question because even though the man's hopelessness provided the way for healing, it did not guarantee healing on its own. This is the second big takeaway from this story. Look at this. Grace only works on willing hearts. You see, the man in this story, he could have said no. Why would he say no to Jesus? There's a lot of reasons that people say no to Jesus. I think we could do an entire sermon series just on that very issue. Why do people say no to Jesus? But let me give you one possible scenario in this particular instance. The Bible doesn't give this man a name. The Bible only refers to this man as an invalid. The invalid, the man who was an invalid. This person, his entire identity, everything about him, who he was, everything was wrapped up in this one characteristic of his life. Perhaps maybe he would have been too familiar with it to let it go. Maybe he might have been nervous about what his life would look like without it. Maybe he could have grown accustomed to the thrill of pursuing goodness and healing all on his own. And so Jesus asked a very important question. He says, do you want what I have to offer? Or do you want to continue to try and get it on your own? Do you want grace? Do you want freedom? Or do you want to continue to pursue what is never going to work? A couple weeks ago, I got home in my house and it was chaos. Have you ever got home from work and you walk through the door and it's absolute chaos and you turn and walk right back out and go back to work? You know, I'm just kidding. I would never do it. I've only done it once this week. But, but I walked in and it was absolutely crazy and I, I finally calmed one of my kids down enough to say, what is going on? And they said through their tears, the internet is out. <laughs> We've all been there. I started to cry too, you know? But I mean, they were brokenhearted, and I said, you know what, it's okay daddy's here. You know, I can fix this. This is not a big deal. So whenever I turned it off and back on, (laughs) I thought that would fit. It didn't fix it. So now I'm out of ideas, right? And so I look and it turns out I've got a fiber optic cable that comes into the house. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced fiber optic cables, but they're not like normal cables. And my son is not like a normal child. And so he grabbed this cable and he thought it'd be fun to jerk it out of the wall. And so that's what he did. And I said, it's okay. I've got wire splitters. I'm going to go get them. I'm going to set this thing up, but my wire splitters don't work on fiber optic cables. And so I started looking around the house trying to find something else that I could use to strip this wire and nothing worked. And and so I took off to Lowe's before they closed and I asked around and I, I spent about 45 minutes trying to figure out what I could use to fix this cable and they had nothing. So I went to Walmart, I begged somebody to help me and they had nothing. And so I went back home and I said, I'm gonna do this on my own. I pulled out a pocket knife, I put a washcloth behind it and I began to slowly strip the wire myself. And every time I got close, the little piece of glass and the fiber optic cable snapped and I had to start all the way over. Listen, I tried everything in my power to solve the problem on my own. But eventually I had to make the call to the company who had installed it in the first place. As it turns out, they had the tools all along But their tools did me no good until I reached out to them for help. Listen, healing only happens when we respond to Jesus' invitation. When we reach out to him for help. When we allow him to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. When we accept the gift that was bought for us on the cross. Jesus can take care of it. Jesus can fix it. Jesus can overcome the problem of sin. But we gotta reach out to him. We gotta accept that gift. This is what Matthew chapter seven, verses seven through eight says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you want what Jesus has to offer You can't find it anywhere else. You can try and find grace and identity in so many other things. You can pursue grace and identity in sports and and, and academic achievement and and, in your professional life. You can try and pursue grace and identity in goodness and material possessions and so many other things. But all those things are gonna let you down because grace only comes from Jesus. And Jesus only works on a willing heart. We need to ask him to work a miracle in our hearts today. Let's finish the story in chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. It says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat, and he walked. Don't miss the significance of how this story ends You see, the man's life was completely transformed by Jesus. He took his mat, the very thing that supported him when he was hopeless, the very thing that supported him when he could not move, and he folded it up and he stuck it under his arm. You want to know why? Because he did not need it anymore. This is the third and final takeaway from this man's experience. A new condition means a new way of living. The man's status changed and so did his lifestyle. When Jesus came into his life, when Jesus changed his circumstances, it changed everything else. You see, this man was never going to come back to that same place with the same mission or with the same purpose or with the same opportunities as before. They were all going to be new and he was going to come to that place with a new course of living. When Jesus reigns in your heart, you can pack up your mat because you don't need it anymore. Your identity is found in who he is and what he has done. I ended up a few weeks ago with a stomach bug and I I had a diet of chicken noodle soup and crackers and water and Powerade and popsicles and all these terrible things that you only eat when you're sick. But I want you to know as soon as I got better, this is what my diet became. You see, when I got well, my diet changed. When I got well, I chose to live like it. I tell you that to say this, once we become recipients of grace, once we've tasted something that's better than anything this world has to offer, and we're not going to look back and go to the old way of doing things anymore, that was for sick people. I'm going to embrace my new life, my new role, and I'm going to allow Jesus to change everything about me. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Listen, the product of grace is a new creation. We don't change to earn healing. That's absolutely impossible. We change because of the healing that Jesus provides. Timothy Keller, who's a famous preacher and author, he says it this way, God sees us as we are. He loves us as we are. And he accepts us as we are. But by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. I love that quote. Your past doesn't define you. Your shortcomings, they can't claim you. Your pain, your heartache, your hopelessness can't hold you down. You are defined by your dependence on God and the the future that grace paves for you. You no longer have to lean your weight on your goodness, knowing that your goodness is never going to be enough. Now you get to lean your weight on the mighty power of Jesus Christ and what it is he did for you on the cross. Listen, when you embrace a relationship with Jesus... When you fill yourself with his grace, that doesn't automatically solve all of your problems. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) Those of you that are Christians absolutely know that. You see, your past is gonna come back for you. Your past is gonna continue to whisper in your ears saying, look, you wanna go back to this. You wanna live like that again. You want to embrace these things that used to support you before. You still need the mat. But when you've been filled with Jesus Christ... You can look back at those things and say, you know what? I'm not going back. I'm well, and I'm going to live like it. Listen, I struggled with this sermon a little bit. As I was preparing this sermon, I felt like there's not enough, not enough application there's not enough, like, go and do this. You know, I like to be able to tell you, go, go out of this place, and like we said a few weeks ago, go buy somebody's meal, go, go be God's messenger, go be God's servant, and I struggled because there wasn't enough of that in this sermon. And you know what God told me? He said, no, there's not a lot of go and do's. All you're doing is telling people to go home and completely transform their entire concept of religion and what it is that Jesus did for them. I'd say that's a big enough piece of application. We've got to stop leaning on our goodness because our goodness is going to let us down. We pursue goodness. We do good things. We live good lives because Jesus transformed us, not because we think it's going to earn us anything. A new condition means a new way of living. Jesus changed everything. Have you let Jesus change you? If you're one of our communion helpers, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and hop up, and you can head to the back right now. We've shifted our service around a little bit this week, and we did it on purpose. You see, usually we do communion. We move it around all the time, but a lot of times we do it before the sermon. But today I wanted us to do it after the sermon because I believe communion is a celebration of grace. And so today I want us to take communion, and I want us to recognize and embrace the fact that Jesus died for us not just so we could celebrate him on a Sunday, but so that he could transform our lives so that he could give us hope, so that he could help us overcome the hopelessness of our situation. Our middle school ministry here at the church is called Merge, and Merge posted a quote this week on Facebook that I thought was so fitting for this sermon. It's by a guy named Watchman Nee, who was a, a, a Chinese teacher and, 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 a, and a church leader in the 1900s. This is what he said, our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. Isn't that powerful? You see, what Jesus did for us on Easter absolutely changed everything about us. It, it started us towards a new beginning. Now we can embrace the fact that grace, grace will get you where goodness can. I hope you understand and believe that today. In just a minute, uh, we're gonna take communion and I want you to spend some time with Jesus and I want you to pray and I want you to say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying in my place. Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to to offer grace freely to overcome my sin and the challenges that I have in my life. And then after we're done with communion, the band's gonna come and they're gonna play and they're gonna sing a song. Um, It's called, Lord, I Need You, I think. Is that what it's called? (laughs) I'll prepare better next time. (laughs) But one of the lines in the song, says, my one defense, my righteousness. Lord, I need you. See, this whole message and this whole story and everything we're learning right now, it's about how we can't obtain righteousness on our own, but because of what Jesus did for us, we can claim righteousness because he loved us that much. After communion, when we stand up and sing, we're gonna have some people up here at the front that are ready to pray with you and spend some time with you if you want us to do that. But whether you get up or whether you stay right where you are, I want you to sing those words. I want you to proclaim you've been made righteous because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence now. God, grateful, grateful that our hope is not found in our own goodness. God, we're going to fall short every single time. We have problems, and we have struggles, and we have issues, and God, we have hang-ups and things that we just can't overcome. But But God, through Jesus, we know that we've overcome it all. We know that when you look at us, you don't see a sinner. You don't see a hopeless person that's broken and separated from you. You see Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made for us. God, I pray that in these next few moments, as we take this communion meal, God, let this be a celebration of that grace. Let us embrace that, maybe even for the first time today. Let us feel your presence in our life and let you transform us from the inside out. We need you. We trust you. and We come to you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at